0: Welcome to episode 48 of the Green and Healthy Places podcast, in which we discuss the themes of well-being and sustainability in real estate today. I'm your host, Matt Morley, founder of Biophilico Healthy Buildings, and in this episode, we're in New York talking to Ethan Bordeaux, the sound concept lead at the International Well Building Institute, the IWBI. That's the organization driving the well-healthy building rating system that you'll often hear me talking about. An architectural acoustician, Ethan also holds down a curious role as Executive Director of Standards and Built Environment for Quiet Parks International. We'll touch on that too. Primarily though, we're discussing the role of acoustics in creating a comfortable environment for building occupants. We look at things like pink noise and how that can cover up unwanted background noise, the creation of sound zones and spatial layouts in an acoustic performance plan, the all-important distinction between sound, silence and just plain noise the role nature sounds can play in promoting wellness, and the main causes of noise in a building that need to be mitigated in a comprehensive healthy building acoustics plan in line with the well sound concept that he himself helped conceive. And that would be then part of a well certification plan. Ethan, of course, has impeccable audio on the other side, and he is a wealth of information. So this was a real pleasure. Here he is, Ethan Bordeaux. Ethan, a pleasure to have you here. I'd like to start with some basics, if we may. What was your path into sound design and audio engineering? And for people who are perhaps not entirely familiar with how that relates to real estate, perhaps you could give us a very sort of quick intro to that bridge between those worlds.
1: Sure. Well, thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. Um, I'm happy to discuss this. So my background in acoustics and sound goes back to my days as a musician growing up. So I've practiced and um, spent a lot of time performing on The Euphonium, which is a low brass tuba like instrument that carried me throughout um, a degree in music performance and acoustical engineering at the University of Hartford. So, yeah, dabbling in constant listening to my own sound, my ensemble mates' sound really led me to want to better understand the way that interior environments sounded and to what degree architects and designers have the ability to manipulate shape and help make better the sounds of, uh, spaces that we spend most of our time inside of. So we're
0: going to come around
1: and dig into all of that. I wanted to, I think in a
0: sense, the work that you're doing with the QPI, so the quiet parks project that you're working on, I think in a way might give us a starting point And then go, we go into how that connects with, with noise and interiors, right? Because in a sense it's, well, here's, here's the best case scenario as in a quiet, mm-hmm. natural environment. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're doing there and how that gives us a baseline of excellence in a way of what what we perhaps uh, uh, evolutionary in tune with or where we came from in terms of sound and noise and backgrounds.
1: Sure. Um, so my work with Quiet Parks International is uh, my latest endeavor. Uh, it's been the result of a year's worth of collaboration with folks like Gordon Hempton, Vikram, Uh, Shohan, um, I'm going to have to get a uh, correction on how to pronounce his name, and other field recordists that have all come together under this one mission of preserving and recognizing quiet in the natural and built environments throughout the world. And their expertise so far has brought them to places like Glacier National Park, Haleakala Crater on Hawaii. Um, and various other urban and wilderness quiet parks throughout the world as potential candidates for meeting our various set of criteria that denotes and best exemplifies what quiet really means to surrounding or visiting populations. And we have, over the past year, worked to define what that criteria actually looks like. How do we define quiet from a physical, uh, a parametric, and even a subjective standpoint, to what degree do we assess using audio technology, uh, sound level meters, audio recording devices, and even just anecdotal and colloquial evidence that we can get from people with boots on the ground in those areas to describe quiet. And then over time, we're planning to develop a better understanding of how quiet and the definition of silence and tranquility changes around the world. So we're actively uh, recruiting and finding uh, candidate spaces, including uh, a site here in New York City, actually, that um, we're hoping can add more flavor to understanding and unraveling that narrative.
0: So these are areas where you're able to watch some of the videos where there's, there's no obvious intervention of a built environment. You are effectively out in a completely isolated, natural corner of the world. And so the quiet, it's not necessarily silence, from what I can gather, it's the sounds of nature and no man-made interventions. Is that a fair
1: assumption? It is, for the most part. We do find ourselves in instances where the term silence could perhaps be the only uh, uh, classification in the case of some uh, of remote places like Haleakala Crater. But you're right. For the most part, we are entering places where the soundscape is defined by sources of sound that are not man-made. They they are a part of the natural landscape. They could be, g geographical features they could be animals migra- migratory birds insects etc
0: so if we then use that as the as a bridge into the discussion around interiors and buildings the idea of acoustic comfort or acoustical comfort do you see that as being a fundamentally um, objective measure or is it all to do with how each individual responds to noise and their personal reactions to whether it's too quiet or too silent, or is it the measures that you can use that would say, well, this is the
1: optimal acoustic comfort to perform a certain task? I'd say, uh, you know, in either case, one informs the other. With the case of uh, the, the populations and occupants within those space, we can learn a lot about where are those people coming from, if, this, if they're entering a new office environment that's undergoing renovation, to what degree can their past and prior experiences with the acoustical or even just the indoor environmental quality of where they're uh, originally used to, how does that inform the way that we as designers can approach better facilitating uh, better sounding spaces for that matter? And, and acoustics is is just one element of a holistic uh, platform of, of comfort metrics that that really are operating in, in synchronicity. And I think um, one great example is... Um, and and I hope we get a chance to maybe dive into this a little bit further, is how the the well rating system has been able to uh, break this apart into the various concepts, among which includes sound uh, as a key feature where we look at spatial layout. We define uh, acoustic thresholds and criteria for optimal performance, which is pulled from the leading uh, um, acoustical standards that we find regionally and throughout the world. And in some cases, includes novel requirements for acoustical design and acoustical comfort that uh, have yet to really hit the market outside of the well rating system. So there's, there's a combination of the two. We can really assess where people are coming from and have a better understanding. And that can be informed through uh, survey results. Um, some great examples include uh, UC Berkeley and Leesman survey indices that have uh, indicated that uh, occupants are quite dissatisfied for the most part with acoustics on the whole. And, you know, it's a huge opportunity, I think, for not just acousticians, but really architects, designers, folks who are consulting in the space of biophilic design to really ask uh, those questions of you know, what is it about the sonic environment that maybe even I don't quite uh, fully understand or can can convey to occupants and, and clients who are coming from those areas where that was a, a large concern and maybe a an obstacle towards a better, productive and more fulfilling workplace experience.
0: OK, so I think there's two things there. Let's look at what the typical causes of unwanted noise in buildings might be, be that an office, a hotel or a learning environment or a residential environment. And then how the WELL standards concept of sound mapping can be used to anticipate and plan ahead for those. So let's look at the noise. So where are the noises coming from?
1: Many different sources. Um, it, it For the purposes of an, like an initial review of any given building or structure, um, we'll look at a few things. We'll look at environmental impacts from exterior noise intrusion that can be sources such as traffic, um, aviation noise, pedestrian noise, depending on where this place is located. Um, we also look at interior mechanical systems design and the way that building services can potentially impact not just any one given space, but the, the building at large, which um, introduces sound in a number of ways. Sound can travel through air, it can travel through vents in H- HVAC systems. You can also travel through structures. If you have large uh, rotating pieces of mechanical equipment that are delivering air throughout a building, or even filtration systems in some instance, the vibration of air and movement can enter the structure and then radiate throughout an, an entire building in some cases. And then we can also talk about occupant generated noise in the office that can be, as one of my friends likes to say, um, the person next to you with the Frito uh, Lays chip bag uh, in the middle of the day making sounds while you're on one of your 100 Zoom calls for the week. Uh, Or it could just be any combination of activity that's happening again throughout the building. So while sound again travels through air, can also travel through structures and with uh, the proliferation of fitness areas and uh, CrossFit gyms and other types of of ways that we're using um, or spending our time in the built environment to uh, activate other elements of uh, a better, healthier lifestyle. Things like impact noise from weights can can travel well throughout an entire building as well. And and those can lead to, to distractions and other obstacles, again, that occupants face due to noise in the built environment. And so
0: the process of sound mapping
1: then would be an attempt to...
0: Um, prevent the construction and the eventual fit out on a building project being completed and then realizing that you've got, you've got sound issues. So trying to, if you like, put on your x-ray glasses up front and presumably one of these sort of quite collaborative processes, right? So you're, you're talking to the HVAC engineers, the architects, quite a few people around that table to try and get a sense of what the acoustic environment will be like in a space, especially on a, on a new build construction, yeah?
1: Correct. So as acoustical consultants, what we tend to direct our clients to is this, is this fundamental concept of source, path, and receiver. So when it comes to acoustics, there's something that's generating the sound, the source, which can be controlled or maintained in some instances. It gets a little difficult when we talk about occupants, for instance, but for mechanical noise, exterior noise intrusion, there's some ways to, to, to investigate noise control at the source there's the path. So what is between that source and the receiver? With HVAC, we mentioned ductwork. There's also structural components. Are we reducing vibration caused by circular mechanical equipment? Uh, and in the case of occupant noise, what's blocking you from not just the, 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 the line of sound or the, the path of the sound, but also even the, the, the line of sight with you in another person, that plays a role in what we call psychoacoustics, or the, the role that acoustics plays uh, in our own mental uh, and cognitive uh, health and well-being within the built environment. And then there's receiver. And so that's us, we're the listeners. And that's ultimately the, the, the final crux in the acoustic comfort equation of you know who is receiving this, how are they responding to this, and then how can we then uh, qualitatively assess the subjective outcomes of how noise how sound becomes noise because not all sound is noise sound is sound until it annoys you and then that becomes noise it brings to mind a
0: project that i was involved in 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 switzerland it was a a round shaped concrete and glass corporate headquarter building and well, yeah a big sort of um natural food business and we were called in uh, to assist both on the biophilic design side but also trying to fix the incredible uh, noise issues and it really was noise problems that they had because they had obviously a lot of hard surfaces they had these sort of central atriums that were allowing sounds basically to sort of bounce around from the ground level reception up to almost the second floor of the building and you know we were looking around what are the What are the options in terms of introducing acoustic materials and everything from paint to plants? But I'd love to hear how you think about what the the tools available to a consultant in that type of an environment, who's a specialist really in in that type of thing. You're going into a space, they have a problem with noise and it's it's already happening. And you're sort of, in a sense, playing catch up, trying to beat something that's already, you know, it's left the gates. So what sort of What's your suite? What's your toolbox in front of you as you go into a project like that? Like, what are the what are the most what are the big guns that you have to pull out, to sort of resolve a problem like that?
1: Well, the biggest question that I would ask at the start is the one that I hoped the project team would have asked before creating a space like this. It's, what is it the intent of this space? Why are people congregating here? What exactly are the activities and the experiences that are? Um, that are want to, to have, have and happen in this particular environment. From there, then we can define criteria and we can work with the team to say, unless you do this, you will not be able to achieve X, Y, Z. So you know, in the case of this building that you're describing, it sounds like there could be issues with speech intelligibility um, or potentially even issues with too much speech intelligibility, where there are areas where you want to hear someone speak and you simply can't hear them. And then when you're working at your desk, you might be hearing more conversations than, than you may than you would, may like to, and so that that's where we we pull out the really specific uh, solutions based uh, examples for acoustic and uh, interior design and, and noise control. So in, in in these cases we would look at how do we reduce the sound in that path equation that we were talking about in in, in source path and receiver. How do we bolster speech reinforcement if someone is giving a presentation if they're giving a lecture or even if they're talking on a simple zoom call we're now starting to add tools to our toolkit that address this uh this this covid lifestyle this hybrid workplace lifestyle where we can communicate with others around the world, like you and I are right now, and not necessarily need to be in a studio that has acoustic panels like mine, you can be in a place that that considers speech intelligibility without really breaking the bank and creating something that's a studio quality space. And that's all in in partnership with these clients and these, these project teams that um, you meet them on the level of the expectation and the intent, and then the out, the outcome experiences that they're hoping that occupants in these spaces can, can have. And that's what drives the acoustic solutions over any particular criteria that I can sort of name off the top of my head. There's no one element of acoustic comfort that should be focused for every single project. Every single project is different. And I Acoustics is no different than any other specialty discipline where, where that is the case. There's, there's a, a, a hyper-specialized solution for most projects. So
0: Wells is especially strong, I found, on uh, mixed-use buildings and particularly around commercial and office buildings. And so imagine we have a, an open plan office space it's for a creative team. And you go in and you can see that there's, there was obvious desire on, on the part of the, the designers. Originally, the intent was to create more collaboration. And I think we've all seen that there's been a bit of a kickback on that over recent years around, well, actually productivity may not be boosted by that. Or if you go for an open plan office space, then we need to compensate in a way with some more intimate spaces that are perhaps designed for a Skype call or you know, typically now just sort of a, an online uh, one on one call cool in an an enclosed environment where you haven't got distracting noises, and equally that there are places where it's comfortable allowed, and permitted to have engaging uh possibly loud conversations with others so as you're seeing the the world of offices now, how are you what do you think an optimal mix might be? Do you think there's still space for open plan but with certain acoustical interventions to prevent that sort of typical uh, sound, reverb situation?
1: It's a hot topic in the acoustics industry right now. I'm, I'm fortunate to sit on a few working group committees for um, ISO and other standards groups that are specifically looking at interior acoustics in the open work plan environment. And these conversations get very complicated very quickly because the culture of open office acoustics and open office use in general changes so much as you as you go into different regions throughout Europe, and especially between North America, Europe, and the rest of the world. Um, and so where we pull this criteria from to develop and design better acoustics in open offices changes changes quite a bit. So what I like to do, again, is really take it back to some fundamental steps. And on, on a lot of these working group discussions, I bring up what I feel the WELL rating system has, has done so well in, in tearing down into the fundamentals of what types of zones could you potentially think about uh, and what are the lowest common denominators for acoustical comfort when thinking about spatial layout in in workplace and and from a workplace strategy perspective in an open office so we have a few categories we have in well feature so one we we break it down into quiet zones where focused work is is the priority or that could also include places like bedrooms for instance what is an area that you want to protect in terms of acoustic comfort and make uh and treat as a sensitive space we then have mixed zones which could be a a combination of any of those things and include collaboration not all collaboration necessarily has to be boisterous and loud and, and people shouting over a desk of, of floor plans or, or whatever. It, it could also just be, hey, we're going to meet together and as a team in this open environment and discuss XYZ uh, amongst ourselves at appropriate levels. And so in the process of talking about like a mixed zone, that's where we can really move the conversation to better defining. Well, what does collaboration mean for you? Could you, could you write it out? Could, is there a demonstration of what that means for you and your organization? And then we have loud zones. And so these could be any combination of areas where you have noisy mechanical equipment that just needs its own isolated, dedicated space to be moved away from any other sensitive environments. Or these could be places where you have amplified speech, you have maybe a very active teleconference room that uses amplification. So these are areas that you really need to keep separate from your quiet zones. And we we list that out very, very carefully um, in the 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 precondition, this is required for every single well project uh, in the sound concept. Now, we have found that when people approach from this lens, they have a better idea of, well, I know now what I should probably be pursuing with our subsequent optimizations in the well rating system. Based on the spatial layout that we were required to do, I know that speech reinforcement is going to be important. I know that speech privacy in my quiet zones in my open office is going to be important. So, what do I need to do to then show up and make sure I'm meeting those needs for my occupants? And those conversations become very fruitful. We learn a lot more about acoustics than we would if we were just meeting criteria, if we were just submitting documentation saying from an acoustician, you pass, here's the check mark, Uh, here's the check in that box of acoustic comfort. So I would encourage folks who are in that position of rethinking the open office from an acoustic perspective to really focus on the lowest common denominator. How many spaces do you intend to have there where focused quiet work is a key function of the holistic open office design? And and start from there. Because it, if collaboration is the, the leading draw to creating an open collaborative space, the folks who rely on quiet zones to complete their work have needs that aren't being met by the design team and the organization who put collaboration first when in reality people want a healthy balance of both
0: and Will also mentions the idea of sound masking systems and the idea of there being, as I understand it, a level of white noise that can be used and pumped into the background to create a baseline that is um, that can help cover some of the perhaps the sort of the mechanical systems. How does that work? Is that about the frequency? Is it about the the intensity of the sound? And and would that be, say, some nature sounds, would that fit into that category? Or would that go a step further into trying to sort of actively influence uh, the occupant mood or their sort of anxiety levels? Or is, is, are the two, in fact, more or less one and the same?
1: Yeah, so sound masking is a very tried and true uh, technology that uh, as a consultant I've been able to deploy quite a bit in open office settings with great success and and uh, what it really focuses on is delivering a pink noise uh, signal which uh, is somewhat calmer than white noise which if you were able to compare the two on youtube you'll 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 I guarantee you will have preference over over pink noise to um, over white noise and what why we choose pink noise is because you can you can also go into the sound source itself and adjust the contour of the equalization curve, so that it can really match and really perform in accordance with preferred uh, occupant acoustic comfort parameters. Now that's that's more of the the technical side of how you would deploy a system like this. But what it, a sound masking system is is a network of loudspeakers that are directly mounted, hung from, or otherwise located throughout a ceiling uh, plane or even plenum. They can be directly exposed or they can be behind an acoustic ceiling tile. So it's a very useful tool when we try to address speech privacy from a signal-to-noise perspective. And now signal-to-noise meaning you have a signal, which could be another person talking, their voice throughout an office that you don't necessarily need to hear. And then noise being what is the background sound level that allows you to discern that signal or the sound of another person's voice. And so as we raise that background sound, the signal, the difference between the ambient level and the signal is then reduced. And so that helps with reducing the uh, total impact of hearing another person's voice uh, encroaching on your ability to focus and be better productive in in a workplace. Now to your other question about Natural sounds as a sound source. I'm as a designer and 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 working with folks who are field recordists and who are uh, architectural designers. I'm actively trying to to indicate that this is that introducing natural soundscapes into the built environment is it's a new format of introduced sound. Sound masking is a form of introduced sound that focuses specifically on speech privacy. Natural soundscapes have a number of potential benefits to them as well. Being immersed in, in hearing soundscapes of birds, wind, uh, waves, etc. in a spatially uniform environment can can elicit emotional response in ways that addressing pe- speech privacy, for instance, isn't necessarily going to do. And there are some really tremendous examples of, of new technology that's emerging that, that focuses on this. Um, there's actually a company Uh, There are a couple companies. One is uh, Mood Sonic, who actually sits on our advisory board for the sound concept that focuses on delivering soundscapes from a natural uh, sound source perspective. There's a new company that I've heard about called Spatial, um, who I'm trying to uh, learn more about in the coming coming weeks that is providing a similar solution and has worked with some hospitals in North America to create spaces for respite for uh, nurses and people who need uh, a moment of 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 Zen or or peace or tranquility to, to continue their daily work.
0: Yeah, i certainly used it in um, created this sort of vitamin nature uh, space in in the central business district uh, of London called Canary Wharf. We did that for a month, and it was definitely part of what we call perhaps a multisensory uh, design strategy, along with aromatherapy mm-hmm. and, ver- and lights and various other things um but i found it was all too easy to just accept that you know a spotify playlist of english bird songs as we were in england would be enough english countryside bird song i felt that there was there was more to be done in terms of perhaps matching place season and the situation or the, the desired emotional response and so i could see how those type of services could perhaps add that extra layer of detail right because it's it's so mm. it's it's such a delicate um, balance between uh, you know the occasional sort of countryside uh, soundtrack with with cows moving in the background and like ah come on I think there's more that we can do so I guess that's the next level right is working with in that case outsourcing it to effectively a professional uh, mm-hmm. yeah, what would it be like sort of the great sound um, playlists
1: and then they sort of provide it's 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 a lot more complicated than that. And in, in reality, it's it's understanding how. Well, let me start from here. The the ear is not dumb. The ear knows when it's in an office and crickets are playing from a Sono speaker ah. in a corner. Uh, the 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 brain understands that when it is fully and truly immersed in an environment, only then can it naturally respond and and react to it the way that we would if we were there uh, in reality. So audio engineers, um, of which I uh, actually am not one, um, I am an aspiring audio engineer, I'm more of an architectural acoustician. but audio engineers are really looking at this from the perspective of of how do sounds really travel in the sound field and how can multiple loudspeakers and an array of loudspeakers help to create and elicit those environments. There, I've seen examples where in software they can create sound sources in an XYZ grid and just have them move around, and um, you know, not too dissimilar to going to the theater and listening to a Dolby Atmos system, where you can pinpoint exactly where the sound is in the given cinema. So we're seeing that enter places like workplaces, hospitals, and in public public areas where sound installations can better interact with humans and vice versa.
0: I like that. I was hoping we get onto some of the, the more inspirational pieces. That's the next level, clearly, in terms mm-hmm. of, of where you take that. So we've, we've sort of touched on it a couple of times, but just to really um, spell it out then, in terms of how well positions the sound concept, you know, the ultimate aim here, when you get all of this right, we've spoken quite a bit about what can go wrong and, and the tools and tricks that are available as you go in to try and resolve some of those issues, but the ultimate aim is when you when you describe what the wins are, are you talking about primarily productivity? Is it worker happiness? Like what are those the big buckets of of, of the sort of ideal results from you starting a project, ending a project, and you've delivered X.
1: Mm-hmm. It changes for, per project type. So in a typical workplace, yes, we would talk about workplace satisfaction, we would talk about productivity, we would talk about ability to collaborate. If if there are more spaces, if there are more areas throughout a given uh, office floor plate where a person can interact with different types of acoustic environments to better support their work, there is a sense of fulfillment that we can we can draw from that. And indices indicating, uh, surveys that are indicating that noise is a top concern are pointing to that. The lack of choice and the inability to, to be in a place where you can speak when you need to without worrying about other people hearing you or vice versa. You can speak when you need to and the people who need to hear you can hear you. Uh, uh, that is the primary focus, that is, that is something in the workplace environment that that is a key outcome. Uh, absolutely. And especially now when we think about how do we return to that type of environment where uh, you, you are looking someone directly in the eye from across a table and your voice doesn't have to go through a series of digital signal processing through uh, whatever you can describe the software for this hybrid environment. I think there is a a relearning um, that we will have to undertake when it comes to thinking about how we communicate in the workplace, for instance, and then that will ultimately uh, describe the way that we address acoustics from the onset in design. Now, with places like healthcare and residential, we see noise as a concern as it relates to sleep. And with acoustics being a top contributor to sleep disturbance, it's important that we can see the key outcomes in things like fitness trackers and other types of technology that can measure and better assess our uh, quality of sleep. And this is very important with healthcare where uh, patient surveys that are administered, especially here in North America, um, indicate the performance of a hospital based on uh, a patient's ability to sleep and, and spend their time uh, recovering in some instances. And the links between acoustic comfort and patient recovery are, are, are vast in many. It's actually where a lot of the research in, in acoustics and health and well-being uh, derives from. There's many case studies that, that link those two together. So mm-hmm. over time, as we see places like hospitals, you know, senior living, outpatient facilities, Adopting more of these health and well-being metrics into their design, the more we're going to see these uptakes in patient uh, satisfaction surveys.
0: Listen, I'm, I'm going to be respectful of your time, but I feel like we could we could go on for a, a good while. I mean, certainly from my perspective, as anything but a specialist in this, you know, the having the well standard as as a sort of um, yeah a, a marker. In the, in the ground, able to get me to a, a, a minimal level of understanding and being able to at least have a, you know, a vaguely informed conversation on this has just been a, a real game changer. And there's just obviously so much behind it and so much depth and detail. It's, it's one of the, uh, it's just such a fascinating subject. So congratulations on everything you've done so far. How can people reach out to you, connect with you, follow along, get involved?
1: You can find me uh, on LinkedIn of all places. Um, I'm usually posting the latest updates with uh, all of the, the outfits that I'm involved with uh, there. And yeah, I'd be happy to reach out and connect um, in any of the DMs. You're welcome to send me on that platform. Awesome, man. Put the links in the show notes. Thanks again. Thanks so much.